from Kurtco Media. What a car enthusiast looks for and what an audio enthusiast looks for, really, if you think about it, it's the same thing. If you're a power guy, you're looking for power. You can never have enough power. It doesn't matter if it's under the hood or in your audio system. There's no replacement for power. That was the voice of Charlie Randall, our guest today on Cars That Matter. This is Cars That Matter. This is Robert Ross. Welcome to Cars That Matter. I've got a great guest this afternoon, Charlie Randall. Charlie, welcome to our show. Thank you, Robert. I'm going to make an introduction here. It's kind of a long one because you have a lot of titles, Charlie. You're the co-CEO of Macintosh Group and the president of Macintosh Labs. If those names sound familiar to our audience, it's only because Macintosh as a brand has been around for a long, long time. We're going to talk about Mac today. We're going to talk about Charlie, but we're going to talk about car culture and how car sound culture kind of come together because it seems like cars and car audio are, well, they go back to the very beginning of those eight-track days, don't they? When I was a young guy and had an eight-track under the dash, that's when it all started, but things have gotten a lot more sophisticated since. Of course, even before I was born, Macintosh, I guess they started in 1949? That's correct. By a couple of guys named Frank Macintosh and Gordon Gow. Since then, Mac has, has really become the senior statesman of American audio manufacturers. You've been there for a long time too, Charlie. Yeah, I actually started out as a co-op student when I was going to the Rochester Institute of Technology for Electrical Engineering and walked through the doors at the age of 19 and never left. I've been there 35 years. Well, that's almost unheard of these days, but I think it speaks to the American dream, the whole notion of almost starting the mailroom and ending up running the company. But it literally happened in your case. Pretty much, yeah. Well, there's there's certainly a lesson to be learned there, I'm sure. The first is know your craft, get a degree in what you love, but then actually start at the bottom and work your way up. And good heavens, you certainly have seen the company grow over all these decades. That's true. You ever think it'd end up where it is? I mean, this is a, <laughs> it's a whole different place. Yeah, it's even if you look at the history of the company, it's got a really rich and exciting history, whether it's from Power and Woodstock to Grateful Dead Wallace Sound, but the, the company's just been put in positions or stumbled across opportunities that have obviously helped enrich its history, but to keep moving the company forward. As a for instance, we started in car audio in 1994 is when we launched our aftermarket systems. And it was always around the pursuance of getting into the automotive OEM business. Obviously, I'm a car enthusiast, but just to leapfrog the company forward, these different types of opportunities that the companies worked in, worked around. It's always been pushing the envelope for something better. I mean, what you do for car audio versus home audio, people say audio is audio and the reproductions of reproduction of the what the artists wanted to hear, but the car environment's totally different than the home environment, which also puts a lot of challenges into it. But the two do cross paths. And most importantly, a lot of the technology does too. Going back to the beginning, if you will, you talk about how you started in car audio around about 1994. I was involved in publishing in that era. And a little bit prior to that, actually, was involved in a magazine called Car Audio back when the car audio craze was really coming on strong. Buddies of mine like Howard Becker were down in LA putting in these monster systems. And if you could get a car with 2,000 watts pumping in the trunk, you were really something. And of course, things did become much more sophisticated, very 
quickly, and Macintosh was one of the leading game changers in that particular industry. I think, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, but your first endeavor with an OEM was in a very important car. It was the uh, Ford GT. It was an optional system in that car around about 2004. Man, it was a supercar, and it was a supercar with a super sound system. Even today, when you... When you see them cross the auction blocks, they often mention the Macintosh audio system in it. So it made a big splash with everybody. I think it was about one of the only high-priced options that you could get with the car. True. They either came with the system or they came with no system. That's <laughs> <One> right. <of> the- <laughs> I don't think there was too many that didn't come with any system. I think most all of them had It's funny how important car audio music is to the driving experience. On this program, we talk about cars that matter, but really it's about the experience of being behind the wheel that matters. And I think that people have become so in tune with their tunes in their cars that it's hard to imagine driving without them sometimes. And it sounds like Macintosh is doing some interesting things in that regard. Probably an opportunity to talk about what the very near future brings for Mac in the world of car sound. We're working closely with the Jeep group. It started off with building a concept vehicle for the relaunch of the Wagoneer, which ultimately moved into the introduction of the Jeep Grand Cherokee, which is, as you know, been formally announced and ready to come to production. And it's got some of our latest technology and some of our proven technology that we've been using in the home audio for many years now. You couldn't pick a more popular bestseller among American brands. I mean, I think Jeep is probably on top of the charts when it comes to popularity and sales and really probably the most successful American automotive brand there is. Their history is obviously a different path than what Macintosh's is, but it's just as rich and iconic in an American way, especially when you look back to the early days when the Jeeps were used in in the different wars, you know. That's a really interesting confluence. I hadn't thought about that until you just said it. But the fact is, you know, Mac's been around since 49 and Jeeps were around since, obviously, as you said, the war. In fact, we did some interesting episodes on the first Jeeps and they are the true icons. And I guess if you had to draw an analogy between Macintosh Labs and Jeep, both of them are built like brick you know what? They are known for being very robust and very unbreakable. The used value of some of the original Jeeps and the used value of Macintosh is probably very similar. In many cases, they're worth more than what the people originally paid for. So I'm going to drag watches into this conversation because to me, a set of Macintosh 75 tube amps and an old Rolex are probably the two things you could use to get out of jail if you had to bribe somebody in a third world country to let you loose because they're both <laughs> worth their weight in gold. They only get more value valuable and not less. So so you got some good stuff happening with Jeep then. What does that mean? A customer is going to be able to go in and check off a box and take the no-holds-barred Macintosh system for their car? Yeah, that's correct. It's a very premium system. Obviously, I mentioned before the cabin of a vehicle compared to a living room is much different. We've got a lot of reflective surfaces, a lot of people sitting close by the speakers, but we've done some really unique DSP tuning in the vehicle. Which you certainly couldn't have done back in the early days of car No, it's one of the things where technology has evolved and even the DSP approach is for us is a really important part for even the home audio in two-channel reproduction, but especially in the home theater where you've got multiple speakers and people kind of sitting everywhere in the living room and a lot of reflective services off from glass. It's it's the media room or their main living room. So it's not really set up just for audio listening or movie playback. And it's the same thing with the vehicle. The vehicle is set up to get you from point A to point B. Obviously, they're getting more and more luxurious 
and the audio systems are getting better and better. And people are coming to expect that because if you really look at the amount of time that people spend in their vehicles, probably more so pre-COVID than post-COVID or during COVID, but it'll come back to where they're probably going to spend as much or more time in the vehicle, especially with families in these larger SUVs. We wanted to bring the best listening experience that we possibly could to the Jeep. I remember reading something many, many years ago where Elton John was complaining about how the only time he could actually listen to his mixes before they got released on record was on the cassette tech in his car. It was the only free time he had going back and forth from the studio or all his other engagements. The only private time he could actually listen to his songs. I suspect that's probably true. Of course, he never got to hear anything as good as you would hear today on a car audio system. Part of that does have to do with DSP. For our audience, that's digital signal processing. And it's really basically where the computers do all the work to make things perfect or as perfect as they can be. Charlie, I wanted to ask you, though, with the car environment, on the one hand, it is a hugely challenging engineering challenge to get everything right. But at the same time, it would seem to me to maybe be an engineer's delight because nothing changes. That car volume, the surfaces, the dimensions, everything about it is absolutely fixed. So you're sort of working into the equation knowing what the answer is. It's a long path to get to what we consider to be perfection. But once it's programmed, once it's locked in, the system is set and there's no real user controls. There are some controls where you can adjust bass and treble, but you can't go in and reformat the DSP because you can really alter the sound to where you probably wouldn't find it very conducive at all. So we don't give any customers access to that. I hope you do give them some of the bells and whistles that make Macintosh equipment special. Oh, there's plenty of bells and whistles. Blue meters define the Macintosh look. No other amp has them. And a set of big blue VU meters on the front showing power output on a Macintosh. Macintosh amp are its signature. Tell me about the blue meters, Charlie. There got to be some blue meters in that thing, huh? There are blue meters built into the instrument panel, so you can enjoy the visual aspect while you're listening to music. It's one of our hallmarks. It's one of the core values for Macintosh, and I often joke that if we put blue meters on shoes, we could probably sell them. <laughs> Well, I don't doubt that because I happen to be a fan of those meters and serious audiophiles will talk about how the meter might or might not be a relevant engineering necessity, but they sure are fun to look at and they sure do give you a sense of being there. You get the feeling that, man, that amplifier is doing something for a living when you see those needles bouncing around on the VU meters and or whatever the meter is actually reading. It's pretty exciting to see. I'm glad you were able to carry that over the interiors. So obviously, this is the first of your new automotive endeavors, but it might be a good time to point out that along with being president of Macintosh Labs, you're the co-CEO of Macintosh Group, and Macintosh Group has some other brands under its wing. You're doing some exciting things in car audio there too, aren't you? Samus Faber, very well-known, high-end Italian loudspeaker manufacturer. They too have just secured an opportunity with Maserati. Which makes sense, of course, since Maserati and Jeep are all now a part of the Stellantis group. And they're all sort of working together to further their mission of bringing, I guess, 14 or so automotive brands under one umbrella. So it makes sense that Maserati would be part of that mix. And certainly it makes sense that an Italian product, Italian speaker would go in an Italian car. This has been an interesting year, Charlie. We're on a Zoom call right now. Of course, you're back in New York. I'm in LA. You're in your office, but you're probably one of the few guys who actually is in his office. The factory has to keep running. I mean, we're located in upstate New York and we actually had to close for the two-month period during the New York shutdown. Ever since we came back, it's been unbelievably busy. People have been confined to a domestic environment so much. What has that done to music listening? You think music's taken off in a way? Yeah, a lot more music listening going on. 
being in the business sector that we're in, we're very fortunate compared to restaurants, tourism, that kind of business landscape. But for us, I think it's really reassuring that what's life going to be like after COVID? Is it going to go back to normal? I think, yeah, it's going to return to normal as far as like our everyday lives. But during this period, we were really fortunate to really see that people turned to music when they really couldn't do much else. It's really true, Charlie. I mean, I know I'm on this show talking about cars that matter. But the fact of the matter is when I go home and I've been spending most of my time there, I'm in my listening room. I have been situated in that sweet spot for the last 11 or so months now, more than I have been in the prior three, four years. It's amazing. I never would have thought I'd be listening to so much music and tinkering with my systems as much as I have been in the last year. It's just it's just incredible. So I'm not surprised that your business and the industry in general has taken off so briskly. With that in mind, what do you see in the state of music reproduction as you look past 2021? I mean, I realize that's kind of a broad-based question, but where's it going? Even if you look back, you started off the episode talking about 8-Track. If you think about where people have gotten their music from over the years, it's changed a lot. We've gone from vinyl to 8-track slash cassette to CD, DVD, audio, and then kind of reverted back to the turntable and also streaming, right? Yeah, back to vinyl, yeah. (laughs) The really neat factor is if you think about the early days of MP3, we didn't have a lot of bandwidth with network capability, stuff like that. So there was quite a bit of a limitation there. And there was a lot of skepticism, would it ever get to be high end? And obviously it has. It's amazing how many people have, I don't want to say given up on their CDs per se, but they kind of have archived them to be like their vinyl collection. And now they're actually streaming some of the same music that they have on CD. So I I think, especially like when you look at what you can do inside a a vehicle, as far as ease of content, even when you're flying on an airplane, people just have really easy access to good quality music now that is going to continue on into the next generations. I think the real important part is bandwidth increases as technology improves, even for loudspeakers, materials get better and better. So does sound quality. Devices get faster. I mean, that's a CD player or a CD sample rate was intended to be 44.1. We're sampling stuff 10 times that now. It's funny, though, when you consider the fundamentals of a dynamic loudspeaker driver, though, are a century old or more. And I wanted to ask you about some of the technical challenges of actually putting speakers in cars. I mean, (laughs) you could bake bread in some cars on a summer day in Texas. How do you approach some of those challenges of actually fitting these devices in such a hostile environment? You do a lot of environmental testing with materials and try to pay attention to where that safe operating area is in the materials. I can speak to experience in the early days when we started car audio. On the aftermarket side, we had a pair of indoor speakers that there was a whole line of them that we were going to bring out. And we applied a lot of what we knew from the home side. And we started to do the environmental testing. And lo and behold, the speakers would actually freeze. They wouldn't even move. So material selection in the surround is a big part of it. Obviously, if the surround is not conducive to be flexible at 10 below zero, then you have a real problem. And if you're going to have a dinosaur fossil on your hand. Exactly. And then obviously for like the amplifiers, a lot of cooling, a lot of work done on cooling. We've got even a couple patents from the car audio days that were on the cooling, you know, the heat sinks. Is there like a philosophy about sound that is special? 
special to Macintosh? Is like, is there like a Mac way? Is there something that makes Macintosh different from everybody else? Really, the philosophy that's been built in and kind of handed down from engineer to engineer to engineer, starting from the days with Mr. Mac and Gordon. The philosophy is, it's pretty simple. When the artist went into the recording studio and signed off on the recording, that's how they intended to hear it. That is the aspect that we take. So we try to stay as completely neutral as you can possibly do with very low distortion, very low noise floor, very high channel separation, and a lot of dynamic range. If you listen to a recording that you've heard over and over again, and you haven't heard it on a Macintosh class system, and you hear it, sometimes you'll pick up a lot of detail that you couldn't hear before. And it's just because of the approach we take to not do any coloration to what the artist intended their recording to sound like and just literally step back, stay out of the way and just provide the performance as they intended it to be. You can literally go from source to speaker and across the board, everything can have a Mac logo on it because you produce virtually every kind of component that someone would want to put into a system, probably short of a reel-to-reel tape deck, but maybe never say never because we're waiting for those to come back too, Charlie. The company (laughs) didn't make a turntable until 2006, so you never know. Let's just have some fun here because I know you're a car guy. We want to talk about that on the second half of the program, but before we leave the world of two-channel, hi-fi, nutball, audiophile dumb. Do you think there is a connection between great stereos and great cars? I mean, have you noticed that maybe some of the same people are interested in the same things? What a car enthusiast looks for and what an audio enthusiast looks for, really, if you think about it, it's the same thing. If you're a power guy, you're looking for power. You can never have enough power. It doesn't matter if it's under the hood or in your audio system. There's no replacement for power. We'll be right back in just a moment on Cars That Matter. On medicine, we're still practicing. Join Dr. Stephen Tabak and Bill Curtis for real conversations with the medical professionals who have their finger on the pulse of healthcare in the modern world. Available on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Produced by Kurt Co. Media. We're back with Charlie Randall of Macintosh Labs. So I'm dying to know, you're a car guy. Tell us how you got into cars and about some of your early years in that hobby and what you're doing today. I had two sisters, which are much older than me, and they always had really cool cars. They were actually getting married at about the time I was born. So I got to ride around in 442 Oldsmobiles and big Impalas, and they were super nice cars. And then When it came time for me to turn 16, it was in the four by four days. So the first thing I did was build a monster truck. From there, you go through life, you have a couple of kids, and then you return to, I got some expendable income. What do I want to do with it? I've always enjoyed my backgrounds engineering. I've always enjoyed working on cars, especially the older cars. So I'm a collector of American muscle. Currently have nine vehicles. Tell us about your cars. I don't buy them redone. The only car that I bought redone was 38 Chevy Coupe. It's a street rod. It's customized. I was at the Barrett-Jackson auction. Couldn't refuse. Well, you buy the car and you get the rest of them on for free, as they say. Yeah, but all the other cars have been completely redone. I do all the mechanical work. I don't do the body work. But I have a 69 Mustang that was an absolute basket case when I got it. It was literally basically scrap level. That's how bad it was. But I wanted to redo it. That was the first one that I did. Moved on to that from to a 72 Mach 1. Jumped backwards, 
to a 47 Chrysler. That's also a street ride. Wow. I'll bet that's special. It's a big car. It looks like driving Miss Daisy, but it's not driving Miss Daisy. It's a Rusto. It's like driving the Wolfman, huh? Exactly. And then my favorite one and the most powerful one is the 67 GTO. That's a Rusto mod. It's uh, a dyno. It does 750 horsepower. Man, that must be a handful. So you got some brakes and chassis and suspension and the gearbox on it. Just uh, It's the GTO only in name, huh? Yeah. And I'm currently building a 55 Chevy pickup truck. Oh, that's a rarity. Pickups are certainly all the rage. And that was a good year. Yes. And then I have two other vehicles, a 1928 Dodge Coupe. That's going to be resto modded. It's still on wooden wheels, if you can believe it. And then I have my father's car. He's no longer with us, but that's a 1972 Oldsmobile Tornado. It's all original. You've got quite a stable. And that Toronado is fascinating, of course, front wheel drive. And it was really a car. It and the Eldorado of the era were well, well, well before their time. And I think some of the prettiest cars that were coming out of Detroit at the time. And when you consider a car that big front wheel drive and a 455 cubic inch rocket holes motor, yeah. all you do is point it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You basically own the road. What a great stable of vehicles. That's fantastic. Especially, I'm thinking about it, such an early car, your 28 Dodge. I mean, that's going to be one hell of a resto mod when you're done. What are you going to put in it? That one's getting a modern day Hemi. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? It would definitely need some Mopar power for those wooden wheels. See how fast you can get those things going. Well, I was going to ask you some questions, but I think you may have answered them because I was going to ask you, old cars or new cars, man? It's actually both. Obviously, these aren't daily drivers for me. We live in the Northeast. We see probably more snow than sun. You need some heat and you need some traction. Exactly. So normal drivers are SUVs slash pickup trucks. I actually own three pickups, the 150, the 250, the 450. So <laughs> I'm only missing the 350. <laughs> Depending on how many amplifiers and stacks of speakers you have to haul. I think the really unique thing is I'm hoping to see the Wagoneer. It's in concept now. I'm hoping to see it come to fruition. My father actually owned two of those. And that would be probably the next purchases of a new vehicle for me would be the Wagoneer. Just because of the nostalgia I had growing up. That's fantastic. I love it. I think a lot of us in the car world cannot wait to drive that one. Really a taste of luxury from Jeep that we haven't enjoyed in a long, long time. Those were amazing cars. So, uh, manual or automatic? That's like asking tubes or solid state. <laughs> well, I was going to get to that question. How do you, you know what? You must be looking at my cheat sheet here, Charlie, because that was the next one I was going to ask you, but we'll get to that. Obviously for comfort, long trips, stuff like that, automatic. But if you really want to get in touch with the vehicle and understand its character and its attitude, then standard. I'll bet you got some wicked automatics and some of those high power resto mods though. Actually, everything is standard except for the 38 Chevy and the Tornado. The 55 truck will be automatic. So you're actually willing to do some work. But for a guy who worked himself up from the mailroom to president, I guess you are willing to do some work. Stirring the gearbox is a part of that deal. You know, 10, 20 years from now, I'll probably hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Road trip or racetrack? You ever do any track work? Uh, road trip. I mean, trust me, I like to go fast, but I don't like to go around and around in circles. It's too boring. Let's change it up a little bit. What about listening to music in the car? What's your perfect road trip music? I'm a big classic rock fan. I like a lot of the what I would call new country. 
not the Johnny Cash or that type of stuff, more more the modern day. Now I am going to get back to your question, vacuum tube or solid state? Depends on the music. I'll give you the critical point of view. For me, if you're listening to orchestra, jazz, that type of music, tubes have a way to fundamentally give you what would be a perceived warmer sound. There's a lot of technical explanation as to why that and it's typically because tubes have harmonic distortion and it's usually second order, which is very close to what you're supposed to hear. That's right. It's pleasing. Even the distortion sounds good. If you're going to do rock, classic rock, uh, more contemporary music, then definitely solid state. And then really it comes down to the customer. If they're a true hobbyist and don't mind maintaining a vacuum tube amplifier because vacuum tubes are vacuum tubes. Over time, they do need to be serviced, replaced, more solid state. We've got amplifiers that are in service that we haven't even seen come back yet. You know, we started with solid state in the 1970s. So it really depends on on the person and what they want to hear or what their enthusiasm is towards standard automatic vacuum tube or solid state. So you kind of need it all. Of course, Macintosh pulled the carpet out from under a few of us who thought we knew everything. You came out with an amplifier recently that combines both. It's a flagship amplifier. It's the MC901. A lot of people like to, especially true enthusiasts, they like to buy amp. Buy amp means is where you put a separate amplifier on your mid-range and tweeters and a separate amplifier on the woofers, which is very similar to what we do in the car system. But what that allows you to do is give you better control over what's supposed to be bass versus the mids and highs. And we actually split. So you have solid state on the low end, 600 watts, and then you have 300 watts of vacuum tube power on the mids and tweets. Which is a staggering amount of vacuum tube power. It's a lot of vacuum tube power. Obviously, if you're driving, it's going to be digital, but at home, digital or analog? For me, analog. Okay, so you like spinning some vinyl. Like spinning some vinyl. I mean, I do use CDs and I do stream. It depends on what's going on. But if I'm going to sit down and just listen, I like the nostalgic listening, you know. You got to be in the mood in that part of it. But if you're having an outdoor party or something like that, obviously I'm not going to sit there and spin vinyl. I turn my phone on and pick my playlist and let it fly. That's a great and unexpected answer for a guy as busy as you. I'm surprised you have time to flip records. That's my job. We even listen here. So that's the best part of the job. <laughs> yeah, you're getting paid to listen to music. I love it. I know you've got some really dedicated employees. I've seen some photos of the factory and it looks like some of those folks have been there for a long, long time. Yeah, the average tenure of the employee and keep in mind, you know, we're a company of 150 employees and about 100 of those are the manufacturing folks. The rest is administration, engineering. Engineering is a big department on its own, but the average tenure is around uh, 19 years. Those are unheard of figures. Well, obviously you lead by example, but that's remarkable. Yeah, we have very low turnover. It's a great brand. The people really, I always say the hardest thing to do is get them to start the first day. After the first day, they love working here and they stay. We're very fortunate. We have very low turnover. And to be honest with you, it's they understand after the first month, the power of the brand and they just want to be part of it. That's really exciting. It's very gratifying to hear that you've got such a dedicated team, but it shows in the product and it shows in the value of the product on the resale market and just in the public ethos. You say the name and people know what Mac means. We're going to take a short break and then we'll be right back. Welcome to Life Done Better. 
Listen to the weekly episodes where supermodel and health coach Jill DeYoung talks to some of the world's most inspiring women in health and wellness. It's the place for all the unicorns who strive to create a life on their own terms. Join us to explore, discover, and create a life done better together. Listen and subscribe from Kurt Co. Media, media for your mind. Welcome back to Cars That Matter. What are we going to see in the future? Anything you can tell us about, or is that all top secret? I mean, we're constantly next-genning products. We just launched, typically Mac launches anywhere between 11 and 15 new products a year. We slowed down a little bit during the COVID timeframe, only because the factory had to be closed for two months, but we still brought out, well, I think it was eight products at the end of 2020 within the last three months. Next year, we're on track to bring out 10 new products. I think probably only three of those are what we would consider replacements, evolution basically of an existing model. The streaming category obviously is a huge growing category, typically around Cast 2 type devices, Cast 2 meaning like Chromecast, Apple AirPlay 2, that type of stuff. So obviously we have a team place on that and that's from a user interface, that's probably the biggest change that the customers are going through right now. I mean, we've gone from music servers to regular AirPlay to now AirPlay 2, Chromecast. People are wanting more of that flexibility to listen to anything content-wise, but they don't really want to be latencyed by the technology that's inside the box. They would rather be able to go out and buy a new one of these, iPhone or Android, to basically take care of that and just let us do what we need to do to make it sound like Macintosh, which is obviously in the D-Day conversion and all the analog audio circuits that come after that. That's right. A lot of people think that all this gear is essentially commodity and that one toaster works like the next toaster, but it really does come down to some very sophisticated engineering in those analog circuits and in the D-Day conversion that really separate the good from the bad and the great from the good. If you look at the early days of CD players and 8-bit microprocessors and 8-bit DA converters to now, you know, it's 32-bit and higher is kind of the standard. Charlie, obviously you've got a degree in electrical engineering. You actually get a chance to apply your trade or are you too busy running the company? I'm very active in the product development side. I wouldn't say sitting there screwing the first prototype together, but conceptually a lot of the, like the 901, that was my brainchild, the I was fascinated when I read about that amp. I think it's a watershed. It's kind of like one of those aha things, like moments. Like, well, gosh, why, why didn't somebody actually do that before? When I told the guys in the engineering department, I said, we're going to do something that nobody else can do. And if you think about it, there's not a lot of companies that play in both worlds. They're either strictly vacuum tube or they're strictly solid state. They really don't co-mingle. One, because... The engineering group, is a, it's a totally different talent from solid state to vacuum tube. It's almost like having Democrats and Republicans in the same room. You might not want to mix them that close. Good point, <laughs> right? And we've actually extended that as well. Even down in the entry-level stuff, we brought out, I think it was last year, year, right at the end of 2019, a very popular unit called the MA252. It's a vacuum tube preamplifier with a solid state output. So for the customer that wants to listen to vacuum tube, but not have to go through all the maintenance, maybe changing output tubes two, three years later, if they listen to it a lot, they can have a vacuum tube pre on the front end 
with the solid state amplifier on the back end. And it's been extremely popular to the point where now we have a total of three, the 252, the 352. And we just announced at the end of 2020, the MA12,000, which is a, a behemoth. It's doing incredibly well. And our number one selling preamp power amp combination has always been the C2700, which is vacuum tube pre with the MC462 solid state auto formered amplifier. We're talking some technical turkey here on a car show, but obviously you got my ear because I would have to agree that the secret to a sweet system is usually a tube front end and a big powerful solid state amp on the back of it. I mean, you really do get the best of both worlds. And again, your stuff really is made in New York, isn't it? Yeah. What amazes people is we are totally vertically integrated. So you wind your own transformers, you do your own metal stamping, everything? Even powder coating, silk screening, front panels are glass. We have a high pressure water jet. We do LCP printing on the back of the glass, which is no different than send a photo in and get a piece of glass back with it on a piece of glass and to hang on your wall. We're very fortunate. Universal Instruments is made in Binghamton, New York as well. And they're the Cadillac of the industry for the auto insertion for the parts on the printed circuit boards. So we have five of their machines that run nonstop. And to be honest with you, end customers, I'm not talking about dealers or distributors, but end customers in the summertime pre-COVID, I think we were doing probably on average eight to 10 end customer tours a week. It's kind of like going to Harley Davidson, right? Binghamton isn't really a destination place, if you know what I mean. For somebody to say, I'm going to Macintosh, it's going out of your way to go to Macintosh. You can't buy that kind of reputation. That's truly amazing. Well, Charlie, I sure wish you guys all the best of luck. Obviously, it's going to be an exciting year, 2021, when Jeep's Grand Wagoneer comes out and we get to see a number of other products from that OEM with Macintosh systems being offered in them and some of the other brands under the Macintosh group label that we're going to see in some other automobiles. Exciting year ahead. Thank you, Robert. And if you ever get out to Binghamton, I'd love to show you the toy shop. Thanks to Charlie Randall, co-CEO of Macintosh Group and the president of Macintosh Labs for joining us today on Cars That Matter. Come back next time as we continue to talk about the passions that drive us and the passions we drive. This episode of Cars That Matter was hosted by Robert Ross, produced by Chris Porter, edited by Chris Porter, theme song by Celeste and Eric Dick, additional music and sound by Chris Porter. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. I'm Robert Ross, and thanks for listening. Kurt Co. Media. Media for your mind.